I believe with all of my heart that God wants to do something powerful this morning. Um, But what might be in the way of that is the fact that we might not be ready. And so I just want to give you a second to just take whatever is weighing on you this morning. Whatever that thing is, whatever is just owning you, owning your thoughts, owning your heart, what the enemy wants to use to distract you from the hearing of the truth of the word of God. And I just want you to give that to him. I just want you to just surrender it. I just want you to come before the Lord and say, God, be my teacher. Not Dave be my teacher, but God be my teacher in these moments. King Jesus, I pray that you would stir our affections for you. The faithful God, the one true God. And we're fools for not running with all that we are after you. And we know that. And we admit that willingly this morning. But there's something in us that's waging war and getting us distracted so easily and so often. And so once again we say, Help us stir our affections for you and teach us through the truth of your word, the perfect law of God. Teach us. Pray in your mighty name and would your spirit move in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. And we're actually going to get there in in just a second. But I want to ask this question, and then I want to illustrate the question that I'm going to ask. And here's the question I'm going to ask. And it's it's going to be simple. It's It's this question. Who are you living for? Who is it that you're living for. And I think that as Christians, we have this uncanny ability to answer that question in a self-justifying way and not really answer it deep at the core of the heart of of what's really going on inside of us. Um, So several months ago, as we were rehabbing my house, uh, we we put in, we had new windows installed. um, And uh, we hired a company to come in and, and install these windows. Well, a couple weeks ago, I noticed that one of the windows was leaking. I'll spare you the name of the company that installed the windows. But um, So I was like, okay, I could probably fix it myself. It's probably not that hard, but I'm going to save myself the job. I'm going to call the company and have them come out and fix the windows, right? They, put, they installed them. They're leaking. They should come out and fix it. So I got on the phone, called them up. I said, yeah, we'll get a manager. They'll call you back, and we'll, we'll, we'll get right on that. Never heard from them. 
Never heard back, okay? At this point, it's like rain, you know, like raining day after day after day. And meanwhile, I have this nice pretty windowsill that I just put in a couple months back and it's starting to swell up, right? Okay, it's starting to be ruined by the rain. And so I'm like, okay, I cannot afford to wait on this company to, you know, schedule a visit to come out and put a ladder up and caulk my window. So I go over to my neighbor's house and I'm like, Hey, can I borrow your ladder? He's got one of those, you know, like 75-foot extension ladders. And, and can I borrow your ladder? And he's like, yeah, what, you know, what's going on? He's a big, big Mr. Fix-It, like, rehabber guy. He's like, what, what's going on? And I'm like, you know, well, my, my window's leaking. And he's like, oh, well, you know, let me, let me tell you about, well, here, here's what you need to look for. And, you know, watch for this. And there's these leak valves, and they might be clogged, and blah, blah. And he just starts filling me. I'm like, just borrow your ladder. I think, think I got it. Um, and, and, and then I'm like, yeah, here's the deal. Um, I called the company, and they call me back, and, and, uh, and he's like, oh, he's like, you know what you need to do, don't you? And I'm, I just kind of step back because I've learned a little bit about my neighbor. I kind of step back and he's like, you need to threaten him. And, and meanwhile, his wife's like, honey, honey, no, no, honey, he's a pastor. Like, honey. So, so he's like, my wife is on the Chamber of Commerce. And you call the Better Business Bureau and you, you, know, you threaten them. You're going to throw them under the bus. And like, if they don't come out and stand, they should stand behind their work. And blah, blah, blah. Like, you, know, you threaten them and they'll come out and they'll do it. I'm like, thanks. Can we get that ladder? Um, and and what, what hit me was all of us at times can have this tendency to focus everything around, this is what needs to happen for me. Okay, now I believe, you know, this company should stand behind their business, and yeah, I should call them, and, and blah, 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 but, like, but here's the point, okay? We in our lives can be so me-centered and me-focused that we will do whatever it takes to get the attention back to us to the point of threatening Okay? Like, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to be about. And, and you know what? This morning, I firmly believe that there's depths of, of selfishness in our souls that, that, that you and I, like, like I, like I prayed, like, we're honest about it. Like, we, we know it. And we, like, we fight it. Like, we want to rid ourselves of it. And I believe the Lord wants to do a work this morning of, of ridding ourselves of, of some of this selfishness and, and beginning to stir our affections as the Psalms are so good at doing to stir our affections for the things of God. So, um, in order to understand Psalm 115, I need to give you the context. I need to give you the historical setting of what's happening in Psalm 115, because otherwise the weightiness of Psalm 115 won't make any sense to us. Okay, so Psalm 115. Uh, we uh, do not know who the author is of Psalm 115. Um, so, um, that's the truth of the authorship um, but Psalm 115 falls into this categorization. It's a psalm of praise, but it's called an Egyptian Hillel. An Egyptian Hillel is literally this. It's Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And this Hillel was oftentimes, it's just simply a psalm of praise. And it was used in celebratory events in the Jewish calendar for them to celebrate the work of God. Okay, And, and what would happen is, specifically related to the Passover, which I'll talk about in a second, they would, they would sing Psalm 113 and Psalm 114 before they celebrated the Passover meal. And then after the Passover meal, they would sing Psalm 115, 17, 16, 17, and 18. Okay? Um, so it falls into, into that category. And, and actually, in, in, we see this in the New Testament. Um, in Matthew chapter 26, where Jesus 
is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. There's several verses where he's, you know, they're having this discussion, who's going to betray me? You know, that whole discussion, and, and they're celebrating the Passover meal, and then, he, and then he institutes the Lord's Supper. He says, okay, you're going to celebrate and remember me, okay? My broken body and shed blood, and it didn't make any sense. They didn't know, what are you talking about? Okay, they're still confused about what was actually going to happen, okay? And then right after that, in, in Matthew 26, verse 30, it says this, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That hymn is the Hillel, which in this case would have been Psalm 115. Okay, now, let's go deeper here a second, okay? Passover. Let's talk about Passover, okay, because this is really going to help set the context for what we're about to dive into in Psalm 115. What's the Passover? Okay, you can go to Exodus 12 and 13 on your own later, and I encourage you to do that. It depicts, it, it lays out, here's all that's described in the Passover. But the Passover really is this festival celebrating Israel's redemption from Egypt, okay? We're from, maybe familiar with that. It was also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, okay? But it, it's attached to the plagues, okay, under the evil rule of Pharaoh, okay? And specifically... The tenth plague, which was the, which one? The death of the firstborn. And the way it would go is um, they had to kill a spotless lamb. And they had to take its blood, kind of gross, and they had to smear it on their doorposts. Okay, and then they had to take the rest of the lamb and they had to cook it with herb and unleavened, and they would, they would eat it, and they had to eat it before morning. If they didn't consume it all before morning, they had to burn it, okay? And then what would happen was this death angel would pass over, and every home that had the blood smeared on the doorpost, the plague would not befall them. But every home that didn't, the death of the firstborn human and beast would be killed okay now just after that we have God setting the Israelites free from the captivity how many years 430 years under brutal slavery to to Pharaoh and the Egyptian army now you know, get this. So, so Moses at this point is, is finally leading them out, and they have that whole interaction where Moses goes to him and, and is nervous, and, and, and finally, like, God gets a hold of him, and he's like, okay, you're going to lead them out. And so he begins leading them to the promised land, and they, they come to this massive body of water, the sea, and they're stuck, okay? You, you remember this? You're picturing this, okay? And, and Exodus 14, 11 comes on the scene, and pe- the people begin to complain to Moses because they're like, what kind of leader are you? And they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us up out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And then what happened? The waters parted. 
the Israelites cross on dry, not muddy, dry land. And following right behind them is the Egyptian army and God closes the waters on them. And all of the Egyptian army and there's some 600 chariots are destroyed. The very individuals who were the cause of much evil and bondage and slavery were finally taken out. And then you know what happens in Exodus 15? Okay, why do we sing songs? Not because it's just the cool thing to do, it's because what the church has done forever in Exodus 15, Moses and the Israelites burst into song, celebrating their salvation. Okay, now, get, get this picture, okay? Okay, you guys, you celebrate birthdays, right? Every year you celebrate a birthday. You, you should, right? Even when you're older, not just for the fun ones, okay? Um, we, we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Easter. Okay, we celebrate National Donut Day. Hope you didn't miss that one. Even my personal trainer um, brought me a donut and a half. Um, oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to say that. She's like, shh. I want you to get this picture because the Passover was a, was a celebration every single year, okay? But do you get what they're celebrating? They're celebrating the, the final rescuing, the, 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 the people of God rescued from 430 years. I mean, we have things we celebrate, okay? I hope that if you know when you were saved, like you celebrate that. And this, this is what, this is, this is the context of Psalm 115. Now, Here's the verses. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Their mouths, they have mouths but do not speak. Eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and the great. But the Lord, may the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who has made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down in silence. But he, but we will bless the Lord for his time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Now, do you hear the weightiness of it? In the context of, of the celebration of the, the Passover, the context of, of this, them saying, not to us. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. And what I think this psalm has to do is I think it has to move us into a position that we live in. Okay, not just the way that we think, not just the way that we talk, but literally a, a position that we live our lives 
in. Because you and I, if we're honest, we have this tendency, like I talked about last week, of being our own God. We want to raise our own flag up the pole. We want to determine our success, our trajectory. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're not doing. I'll even threaten where I need to threaten. Yes, to me be the glory, to, to my way be the way that should be done. But here's what's crazy, okay? What, what, what do we deserve glory for? Okay, because what, what's happening in Psalm 115? Why, why is he giving glory to God? Because of your love and faithfulness. That's what, that's what they're holding up. The, 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 the faithfulness the unabated ferocity of Yahweh to, to bring love and his unending pursuit of his people. That's what they're holding up. Man, not to us. What do we have to boast in? And then it goes into verse 2. And, and Why should the nation say, where is their God? And I think many of us and the others have asked this question in, in the the wake of recent storms and some of the recent shootings and, and tragedies that have happened around the world. Why, why should the nation say, where is their God? But then it's answered in verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Um, my daughter is incredibly independent Okay, she's like, you tell her how to do something. Actually, you don't have to tell her how to do it. Like, she'll just go do it. Okay, and this conversation we have with her all the time is, hey, babe, you need to ask. Before you, like, go out the front door and run across the street to your friend's house, like, you should probably come ask me. You're five. Okay, but God, what does the scripture say? He's in the heavens. He has supreme authority and a supreme, uh, a supreme power, and he does whatever he pleases. And we don't even always understand that. It doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always compute the things that happen underneath his eyes. But he's God. So what is, what is this whole deal about God and his glory? I want to define the glory of God for, for a second. Um, for, first off, as an, as an attribute. Okay, the glory of God is as an attribute. It's this reference basically to his majestic beauty. Okay, to his splendor, okay, spotless. And really, us, when we talk about lifting up the glory of God, we're talking about us recognizing him for who he is. Okay, it's this, it's this like, this equal weight that maybe you've heard us talk about in the past. Okay, that, that he, this is who God is. Like, we want to give him what he's due. We don't want to sell him short. We want to give him what he's due. Okay, that's the, the glory of God, and it's all over the scriptures. The scriptures record praise to his glorious name, Nehemiah 9.5. They describe him as a glorious father, Ephesians 1.17, the king of glory, Psalm 24. He's exalted above the heavens, and his glory is over all the earth, Psalm 57.5, 108.5, He is the God of glory that appears to the patriarchs, Acts 7.2. He is jealous to maintain his glory and unwilling that it be given to another, Isaiah 42.8. He acts to bring glory to himself. Himself. Psalm 79 9, Isaiah 48 11. Get it? It's all over the scriptures. The glory of God. But not only is it an attribute, it's defined by his very presence. You know what the Bible calls it? You know what the Old Testament calls it? The term, what's known as Shekinah glory 
which, which literally is talking about his dwelling presence, his dwelling glory. And it's in reference to the very thing that led the Israelites out of slavery across the Red Sea. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And it's the same glory that made Moses' face shine so that when he came before others, he had to put a veil over them so he wouldn't blind the eyes of another because he'd been with God. And it's the same, I think, description when the, when, when the people realized that the disciples had been with Jesus. They were ordinary, untaught men. put themselves under the weight of the glory of God and been changed. And it's the verse that the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's a description of Jesus. And I think that God's calling us into this position of humility that this text is calling us into this position of of trembling at God, of of dwelling in his presence. And I think here's probably the best way I would describe it. So I took my kids fishing yesterday. And you better believe when they caught their first fish that they said, Daddy, look. Look what I got. Daddy, you see this? And you know what's written all over that? For those of you that parents, for those of you that are aunts or uncles, for those of you that have any interaction, any close relationship with, the, with, the, with a child, it's, I want you to delight in what I've done, right? You resonate with that? Like, I want you to delight in, like, look at what I've done. That's, that's positioning ourselves in this, not, not to us, but to your name. Like, I just want to please you. I just want you to be glorified. The truth is, though, that we have a tendency not to live this way, right? You're like, yeah, we hear this kind of thing all the time. We know we should be living this way, but it's hard. We, we have a tendency to not live this way. And Romans de- describes it this way. For all they, they, although they knew God, Romans 1.21, they, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, okay? This is what I talked about last week about this drifting. You begin to drift. You don't realize. You become futile in your thinking and your heart's darkened, okay? Claiming to be wise. Like you think, like, I got it all together. I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm living for God, okay? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. What did they do? They took the glory of God and they exchanged it. For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The psalm goes on to describe the heart of idolatry in verse 4 when it says their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They don't have mouths, but they have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses, but they don't smell. Hands, but they don't feel. Feet, they don't walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. I want to talk about idolatry for a little bit. Because it's really the core of our sin issue is, is idolatry. 
And, and I even picture it of like a, like a leech that's literally like sucking the life out of us. Because when you read, when you read that psalm, right? When you read 4 through 8, what do you see? You see lifeless beings that have like almost the image of life. Like they have a mouth and they have ear, like, but nothing's coming out of them. Nothing, there's no life being produced in them. Um, I came across this image this week, um, and uh, I feel like this really depicts idolatry, um, is this image of this man who, on some level, could be described as wanting the very thing that's destroying him. And that's what idolatry is. It's pursuing something that can no way offer sustained abundance or life and I want to talk about several. I want to just get super practical. And I want to talk about several idols that I think are present in our culture today. Um, the first one is the idol of sex. The idol of sex, pornography. Um, I'm not going to get graphic, don't worry. Um, here's the lie. Here, here's the lie here in this idol. Um, it's where life can be found. Like it's, this, it's this pursuit that it's like, this will do it. This will satisfy. If only I had. Okay, it's a lie. Here's the other lie. A little bit of, of immorality is okay. Just, just, just a little bit. I can control it. Okay? Like I can keep my hands around it. Not only does the scripture say there must not be even a hint, but more than that, we know you can't control it. God designed it that it, that it, that it leads to one thing, lead to another, lead to another. Okay, right? Okay, because God designed it in the context of a gift. Okay? That it's a gift given in the context of the gift of marriage. Okay? God never intended it as the ultimate pleasure. You understand that? He never intended, but he, he intended that it would point to, not only would it bring intimacy with a spouse, but that it would point to intimacy with God. And take you deeper into satisfaction with him. Listen, finding satisfaction from a visual standpoint or from a physical standpoint, okay, outside of anything other than your spouse is always sin. Do you understand that? Okay, don't believe the lies that it's not. And I believe some of you are in the weightiness of the bondage of sexual immorality. And I believe God wants to help loosen the chains this morning and set you free this morning from the lies that you're believing and the bondage that you're in. Um, the second idol I want to talk about is money. This one's a beast. I mean, they're all a beast in their own way. Um, here's the lie of money. Get as much as you can as fast as you can. Okay, it's, it's the lie that like, and you do that and all your problems are going to be okay. Like, that's the answer Here's the other lie. The amount you have 
is directly proportional to your success and your fulfillment. The amount of money you have is so you, you have little, like you're not very successful, and you're not gonna find much much satisfaction. You have a lot, you're gonna be perfectly satisfied and okay. So how do we know that's a lie? Well, you look at, you know, go Google search. You look at professional athletes that have had it all and their life is spiraled out of control. Or other famous people. Here's the other lie. I'm going to the idol of money. Hold it tight. Hold it tight. But the Bible says, 1 Timothy 6.10, that the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay, not money. Okay, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with money. Okay, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with being successful. Okay, but it's what you do with that. Okay, do, do, you, do you hold it tight? Do you, do you cling to it? Okay, because the truth of the matter is that the amount you give away is directly proportional to your success and your fulfillment and satisfaction in life. You hear that? The amount you give away. You, you need some proof of that? Okay, you go check out 2 Corinthians 8.15 and Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Okay? 2 Corinthians 8.15, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. The amount you give away is directly proportional to the success you have in your life and the fulfillment you find in life. And I believe that it's one of the primary reasons why Christians are called to be a part of a church so they have a place to give their money. Okay, you're like, well, that seems kind of weird. No, it doesn't, because God's brilliant, right? Okay? Because here's the deal. The Bible says that, the, that attached to your money is your heart. So you want to know where your heart is. You want to know, like, where your spiritual level is? All over the Bible, over and over again. Look at your money, the spiritual level of your heart. Look at your money, okay? Look at the qualifications of of church leaders. What's attached to that? They must not have a love of money, okay? I tell people all this this all the time. I believe one of the main reasons why my dad is such a successful businessman is because he is the most, the biggest giver I've ever met in my entire life. And he's so successful because he just gives. Some of you have been recipients of that blessing and that gift. But money is, it's the means that we as the people of God administer grace. Okay? We administer grace to one another. And I believe some of you are under the bondage of the idol of money. Maybe you cling tightly to it. And God's purpose is for you to find freedom. Find freedom today. Uh, here, here's another idol. The, the, the fear of man. Um, something I uh, fall into a ton. Um, the idol of the fear of man. Here's one of the lies of the fear of man. It's my duty as a Christian to cater to this person. It's my duty as a Christian to cater to this person. Another one, what matters most is what this person will think. No, 
Uh, last time I read the Bible, what matters most is what God will think. And what matters most is what obedience looks like. What is it God's called you to do? And what is it God's called you to be? And if there's any person in your mind that you're thinking more about how they will respond or what they will think that's standing in the way of, of your obedience, that's idolatry. And you're worshiping that individual more than you're worshiping God. Because Proverbs 29, 25 says the fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. And I believe that some of you this morning are giving to the idol of the fear of man. And God wants to set you free this morning. Here's another idol. Um, Self-image. Self-image, so much in our culture today about how you perceive yourself, how you look. Here, here's a lie. How I look determines my worth and my significance. That is straight from the pit of hell, church. Straight from hell. Here, here's another lie. There is such thing as a perfect body, a perfect gift set, a perfect personality. And the culture sets those up and says, here's who you should be like. It's a lie. Here's another lie. What I think about myself determines who I really am. What I think about myself determines who I really am. The problem with that is the scriptures say that your beauty is found in Christ that your beauty is found in Christ, redeeming and setting you free in his, what he's done on the cross, his broken body and shed blood, because he is all about you. He doesn't love some future version of you. You get that? He doesn't love some future version like, you know, if Amanda would just become like this, gosh, I'm going to love her so much more. No, he loves you. Yeah, absolutely. Part of taking care of our bodies is an issue of stewardship. Read Luke 2.52. Jesus was all about, all about it, being healthy and taking care of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the physical must always be secondary to the spiritual because the scriptures say physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. Um, one more, comfort. Comfort. The lie of comfort says this. Jesus suffered on the cross so that I wouldn't have to suffer. The idol of comfort says Jesus suffered on the cross so that I can live my life in such a way that I don't have to suffer. Or how about this? And this might kind of shock you. Um, how about this one? Um, what matters most is the safety and protection of my family. Okay, man, you're like supposed to be like the leader and the protector of your home, right? Okay, so you always position yourself and position your family in such a way that's safe. Can okay, you realize that there's people all across the world that have little ones that are in some of the most dangerous areas of the world? If missionaries that, that, that we support, the Harrys that are serving in a communist country that have dangerous things that happen all around them all the time, is that safe? 
Probably not. But there's this lie going around that we're supposed to be comfortable. But the truth is that true Christians are called to a life of discomfort and suffering. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Read that. Because what matters most isn't your comfort, but your obedience to Jesus. And obedience to Jesus is a Luke 9.23 call to lay down your life. Listen, we're going to take a group from this church to Mexico in a little over a month. Some of the questions have come up. Is it safe? And yeah, we've, we've looked into it. And um, the good news is, is there's not warring drug cartels where we're going. There's only one. So we're safe. <laughs> Maybe we're not. Is that the goal? Well, sure, we want to be smart. We want to just walk into a shootout. God's given us brains and minds to think and be smart. But when we position ourselves around our comfort and our safety and our, you know, material lives, we're not living for the glory of God. We're living for us. And the Bible calls it idolatry. Idolatry. And so maybe you're clinging tightly to this issue of comfort. You need to let go of that. And maybe God's calling you to some uncomfortable things, to some uncomfortable conversations, to some uncomfortable environments, to some uncomfortable relationships that he wants you to stay in and not run from. I love this picture. The end of Exodus, just before the Red Sea smashes on the Egyptians. Check this out. Exodus 14, 23 says this. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's chariots, horses, horses, chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of the cloud looking down. That Shekinah glory. Looking down on the Egyptian forces, threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. Clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, and this is just beautiful. We got to get out of here. Like, okay, I find one of them, like, well, duh. But like, notice what they say. Let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against us. the message I want you to hear this morning is that God fights for you and he wants to bring you out of the bondage of idolatry in the way that the next verses talk about oh Israel trust in the Lord Psalm 115 verse 9 he is their help and their shield oh house of Aaron trust in the Lord he is their help and their shield you church who fear the Lord he is their help in their shield. And I want to call you this morning into that. Out of a life that's about me, out of a life of, of idolatrous pursuits, and into a life of living for something and for someone that knows better. Okay? He's a smart guy, he's brilliant, he's the creator. 
but he doesn't just throw us down on earth and say, good luck. He says, I'm your help. And not only that, I'm your protector. I'm your shield. And I will fight for you. And the amazing testimony of the saints from the days of old is the testimony of verse 18 that says this, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And that's what we want to do, and that's what we're going to do. And I believe that God wants to set some of us free, but part of setting us free is going to involve positioning ourselves out of a life of us and into a life of, of who God wants us to be, mainly through repentance, through confession. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into our time of response. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you've endured it over time, that you're a faithful God, that you love us, not some future version of us, but you love us today here, who we are now. And you want to do a mighty work in our souls this morning to set us free from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of idolatry, and to move us more fully into relationship and surrender and trust. So would you be our help and our shield this morning? In Christ's name, amen.